this morning, how many of you have a cell phone on you? Go ahead and lift it up in the air. What I'd like you to do this morning is not only silence it, but uh, put it away. (laughs) I know many of you, because we live in such an ever-increasing attention deficit society, about every five or ten minutes, you got to check in with something. But this morning, uh, I kind of wrote something from the heart. Uh, In fact, I'm going to try to read it as much as I can because I wrote and rewrote and read and reread something I really wanted to share with LifePoint Church this morning. It's not just a teaching, but something from my heart, something that I was really thinking and mulling over over Christmas break and and sort of the new season that God has for us. I think a season of incredible anointing and breakthrough, but also a season of joy and peace. And so if you will, just give me about the next 21 and a half minutes, because that's about as quick as I read it at home, uh, of your attention. But think about it, that's nine minutes less than your average sitcom. So I, <laughs> that's, you know, you're getting a deal this morning, all right? You're getting a deal. I want to start with the scripture that Jesus gave to me on January 1st, 2019. I was just saying, God, I want a scripture to guide this year for me. And I mean, just immediately, kerplunk, it just welled up in my heart. Whether this is exactly from Jesus or not, I don't know. I don't have his email address, obviously, but this is the one that really came strong. It's out of Psalm 1, the very first three verses of that psalm, where the writer says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. But blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. I realize, you know, I do day very well, but at night, (laughs) I can't meditate on anything. I'm tired. I want to add that this year. How can I overcome being tired and keeping that meditation alive? Because I want verse 3. Everybody say, I want verse 3. You do. You want verse 3. Trust me, you want verse 3. Verse 3 is what takes you from the good life. And many of us here in America, we have the good life. Verse 3 takes us from the good life to your best life. It says, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and check this out, whatever they do prospers. Forget all this other prosperity gospel stuff. Prosperity is right there in Psalm chapter one, verse three. If you wanna prosper, and I'm not just talking money, I'm talking about life. There is prosperity in life that money cannot buy. It's called the fruit of the spirit. And if you want that, Right here, Psalm 1, 2, and 3, that is the ticket. A good question to ask and re-ask yourself in the New Year's season is, where is God in my life? Where is God in my life? When I was their age, in junior high, God was like out there somewhere, whatever, but I had a whole life to live. I wasn't thinking about God. I was thinking about my classes. I was thinking about my sports. I was thinking about my food. I still think about that. I was thinking about all these other things. I wasn't thinking about God. It's funny, every stage of life can give you a reason to not think about God. When you're in junior high, you don't want to think about God because God seems like somebody you're going to meet 90 years from now. 
When you're 20s, it doesn't seem like it's time to think about God because you know, you're building your career, you're going to college, you know that? In your 30s, you're building your family. In your 40s, you're going through midlife crisis. You're wondering if you're living the life you're supposed to live. In your 50s, you're beginning to realize, wait a minute, wait a minute. I may have more years behind me than ahead of me. And all this time, we keep pushing off this big question, where is God in our lives? Is he just generally on duty somewhere out there? Is he close enough to be comforting, yet far enough to not be too disturbing? I was thinking about this Christmas and I remembered, you know, God and us, we didn't start this way. Listen to me now. I'm going to go through the overall message of the Bible and the love story within it. Long ago in the creation of the world, we see a God who is very much with us. He was with the men. He was with the women, woman, man and woman. He breathed life into our clay nostrils shared his authority with us as we named the animals. And after the work of the day was finished, he came and he walked with us and talked with us, building a relationship with these little clay images of himself that he had made. And then something tragic had happened. Through the deception of the devil, we abandoned life with God for the chance to become gods ourselves. That's what the devil really offered us. He said, you know what? It's not just that you can add to yourself. You can become like God. And every single human being that's born on the planet today, that is our inner urge to be our own God, to feed ourselves, to feed our appetites, to feed our desires, to be the one who's famous, to be the one who's affirmed. All because we ate what the devil had to offer. The serpent convinced us that the God who was our evening companion, well, he was not the God he appeared to be. We took the serpent and his word and we became suspicious of God. And with that act of rebellion, our confident sense of identity and who we were gave way to a world of fear and heartache. The world that we had been placed to cultivate was now our enemy. The animals that we trusted and loved and cuddled now became our stalkers. The ground which produced endless fruit became rife with thorns and thistles. Our children had become rebellious, murderous, selfish to the core, and we had ringside seats to it. The ship we hoped would rescue us had begun to melt away in the horizon, and now we began to wonder, was there ever a ship? Was there ever a garden? Is there even a God? Every time we see evil in the world, every time we see pain in the world, every time we see suffering in the world, We hold out for the belief, and we ask ourselves, why? Why did God abandon us? But I ask you for this year, what if we got the question wrong? What if it's not about God abandoning us, but us abandoning God? We rarely take responsibility as a human race that we are the ones who left the relationship. Not God. It was us who chose to believe the serpent and we still believe him over God. Day in and day out, the first humans injected that venom of evil and self-absorption into our DNA and now the God who was in here when we were created is now out there somewhere. If you were to ask yourself honestly, where is God? I think many of you would say, he's out there somewhere, sometimes in here, 
He's just kind of erratic. He's moving all around. I can't always place exactly where he is. Well, life with Satan was absolutely horrific. Nothing he led us to believe was true. We killed to get what we wanted. We controlled people out of fear. Men became bullies to women, and women became dominated subordinates. We lost any sense of who we were, and yet there was something inside of us, this seed of God's spirit that cries out and says, you know what, it wasn't always this way. Somewhere deep in our programming, we can think of a time when it wasn't like this, when we were filled with love and respect and hope and joy, not trying to beat each other, kill each other, or be better than each other, but living in harmony under a loving God. When the need to, became, when the need to worship became unbearable, we created God's so that something bigger out there could help us. We were so desperate for spiritual help that we even sacrificed our children to the fire in the hopes that something, someone, somewhere would alleviate the inner tension deep down inside. Life got so bad that God mercifully sent a flood to wipe out primordial humanity and starting over with Noah. Noah was the last leftover of the faithful line of Adam. But within a few generations, even Noah could not stop the tide. And God was once again relegated to being out there somewhere. We began to worship the sun. It's pretty glorious. We began to worship the moon and the stars. Why? Because they were positioned above us. You ever realize that? that? That's why we don't worship, worship the earth or the rocks. They're beneath us. These people worshiped things that were above them. And the great father of the faith, Abraham, was one such worshiper. He worshiped the moon, believing as the moon changed, his luck and fate changed with it. This morning I'm going to tell you about six great events in history that I hope you never forget. And the first great event in history was the day that Abraham had just finished his evening meal. He went outside and he was looking up at the stars. Who knows, perhaps looking at the moon, wondering if that moon was really God. And then one day God himself revealed himself to Abraham. And God said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. You are going to have a miraculous son. I know you're old. I know your wife is way past the age of having children. I am going to bring you a miraculous son that is born not of your power, but born of the Holy Spirit. And he is going to be a chosen son to bring in the Messiah. Here's the interesting thing about Abraham. Abraham did nothing to deserve this he did nothing to earn this he wasn't trying to find this creator god he thought the moon was god there was absolutely nothing abraham did to get this incredible revelation of god you know what the big deal is god simply chose in spite of all our unbelief in spite of all of our other gods he chose abraham said abraham we're going to change the world not because you were looking for me, but because I am looking for you. The second great event was the coming of Jesus. 
in the Old Testament, God is terrifying and unapproachable. In fact, people who don't really, aren't really filled with the Holy Spirit, God is someone to be afraid of. God is someone to be feared. God is someone who can make your life miserable. And in the back of your mind, you think that he probably does want to make my life miserable. I'm selfish. I'm mean. I'm not always nice. I don't always say things in my heart. I don't really think about God. So if God's really out there, he probably wants to do something bad to me. And then Jesus came. And Jesus came and said, God is not full of anger. God is not looking for ways to punish us. God is not violent. God is not promiscuous. Jesus comes and says, God is not angry at you. God loves you. Jesus comes and says, God wants to give you good things. Jesus comes and says, God wants to take your sin upon himself and rescue you. In fact, the most powerful line that Jesus Christ came and said on earth was this. I have come not to be served, but to serve. Think about it. When many of you think of God, you think of that thing you serve, that being you serve. He's a greater being. He's above all the earth. And so naturally, we little humans, we serve that great being. And then Jesus Christ comes and says, I'm going to totally upend your thinking. I, God, have not come to be served or demand your servitude. I have come to serve you. Ask yourself in your heart, is that your God? Or are you still trying to change his mind about you by being a good boy or a good girl? Because Jesus says, I have come to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. The third great event was the death of Jesus. Jesus gave his body and blood to restore us from the separation of God so that the God who was out there could now be in here. How do we know that? The very last three words that Jesus spoke before he died on the cross. He said, it is finished. What an odd thing to say. Jesus, what was finished? Our separation from God was finished. The bridge to build between God and humanity had been firmly completed with Jesus' last breath. And you know what the beauty is? Now we have an option. We don't automatically cross that bridge. You have to choose it. But at least now we have the choice to choose it. Before Jesus, there was no choice. There was no hope. Only the fear and heartache that we know so well. The fourth event was the resurrection. The angels asked the women, the first women who were at the tomb, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. He's alive. The resurrection teaches us one crucial fact. Listen to me now. Please listen to this because it's so important. When our bodies die, our sin dies with it. The sin that we struggle with is something of the body. All this this little machine that you see in front of you called the human body, it's riddled with sin. And God's plan isn't to fix it, it's just to let it die. And when it dies, all the sin of my life dies with it. And when God raises me up in a new body, I have a new body, no sin. 
That's the resurrection. That's what Jesus, when our bodies rise, the sin is gone forever. That's the plan. The fifth event, five of six, if you've been tracking. The fifth event was the ascension of Jesus into heaven. Now I don't know about you, but when I read that story, my heart breaks. It's like Eden happens all over again, right? Because what happens? Just when we get Jesus, just when we get the resurrected Jesus, he's gone again. I can imagine as the disciples, the apostles are looking and seeing him levitate up into the clouds. They're going, really? You're going again? You're gone now? We finally get you. We finally get all of you and and you go away. Very poignantly, the angels are standing behind them. And the angels said, why are you staring into heaven? How many of you, you're at a point in your life where it's so confusing. You so don't get life. You so don't get how the spiritual and natural mix. You so don't get the Holy Spirit. You so don't get things that you're just kind of staring at heaven going, where in the world are you? Come on, what is this all about? That's what the angels are saying. Why are you staring into heaven? In the same way that Jesus went up, he will come back. But go back to Jerusalem. Wait for God. Wait for the Pentecost. Wait for the Holy Spirit. The angels say, Jesus is not done with you. But what he can do, he can't do with himself on earth. So with a lot more questions than answers, they obeyed God and waited in Jerusalem. By the way, that's a good definition of faith. When you go forward with God, even though you have a lot more questions than answers. Sometimes that's what I have to say to God. God, I have a lot more questions than answers about this, but I am gonna follow you. I'm gonna go through this. I'd rather, I'd rather go to the end of the line and fail than out of fear never take that first step. And the sixth event was the Pentecost. The story is an amazing story. It says that they were in the upper room, 120 of those Christians, those early Christians that watched Jesus sort of levitate into the clouds. Now they're all in an upper room. They're praying and they're wondering, why does God want us to wait here? What is going to happen? What they don't realize is gonna happen is that Eden is going to combine and explode into that upper room. You may say, Eden, what does Eden have to do with it? When Adam and Eve first sinned and they broke fellowship with God, right? God escorted them out of, out of the garden and what did he leave there to guard it? I'll tell you, a flaming angel, an angel that was blazing with fire and had a sword with fire. So every time, you know, Adam and Eve probably at first were like, oh, we gotta get back in, we gotta get back in. And every time I did, that angel would stand between them and God and say, you cannot enter. Fire kept us from God. Now all of a sudden in the Pentecost, fire connects us to God. Story says that tongues of fire began to descend from the top of the room and rest upon them. Now those same flames that guarded us from God 
became an inner fire guiding us to him. The resurrection was a powerful event, but it did not empower anybody. Some of you, that's challenging you a little bit. The resur- Jesus rising from the dead was a powerful event, but it did not empower anybody. If it did, then Jesus would have said, you don't have to wait in Jerusalem. It was when the Holy Spirit filled them with the tongues of fire that they were now empowered to go and fulfill and carry on the mission of Jesus on earth. After the Pentecost, we were like trees that were uprooted from the garden of sin-cursed earth and replanted in Eden to bear the fruits of the Spirit. That is God's goal for all of us. What our goal with God is may be one thing. God, I want you to bless me. God, I need a promotion. God, I need a new house. God, I need a... We have goals with God. There's nothing wrong with some of those goals. I'm not here to criticize those. Some of you do need more money. Some of you do need a house. Some of you do need a car. But that's not God's goals with us. You know what God's goals with us is? To bear fruit as his followers. What is that fruit? That's what we're going to take the first part of this year. Discovering. Learning. Living. And seeing the good life. Many of us, even, even the poorest among us, compared to 97% of the rest of the world, we live the good life here. But we want to go from the good life to the best life. And if you want the best life, then it's allowing God to produce the fruits of the Spirit in your life. Why the long speech? The indwelling of the Spirit combined with the gifts of the Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit. I was thinking about this over Christmas, writing and rewriting things, because I journal. I never used to journal. But I tell you, it's been the great, in fact, in the beginning, I didn't see the point of journaling. Now when I look back at things I wrote 20 years ago, I really see the blessing of journaling. If you don't journal, this would be a great year to start because 20 years you'll look back and be so glad you did it. As I've been journaling and I thought about this message, I realized something incredible. Our lives and our coming to Jesus is just like the Bible. I began to think of my own life. Like the early humans, I had my season with sin and rebellion and fear using people, using girls, using drugs, using friends, just, just being selfish and self-absorbed. I grew up in Detroit. I didn't want to be somebody who fought all the time, but the fights found me, and pretty soon I became a very violent and angry young man. And I said, boy, it's a dog-eat-dog world, and I'm going to do everything to get ahead to be better than the next guy, even if that meant beating him to a pulp. That's no way to live. That's not the fruits of the Spirit. You know what, you know what, you know what people do with that guy? They tolerate him, but they don't celebrate him. Oh, he walked into the room. Okay, better say hi, but they don't want him around. And I was becoming that. The fruits of anger was what I was cultivating, not the fruits of love joy and peace and kindness i want to be the kind of guy where i when i walk into the room people are like yeah tom's here 
Man, I bet she's going to have some word of encouragement. Man, I want to go hang out with that guy. Man, I want to invite him to the football game on Saturday. Man, I want, I mean, that's, that's the fruits of the Spirit. You're celebrated rather than tolerated. Like Abraham before his call, I had my season of trying to get God to change his mind about me. Oh, I started going to church, but I wasn't a Christian. <laughs> I started trying to do good things, but it uh, lasted only a couple weeks. I tried to stop cussing. I, I broke up with people, girls who shouldn't have been in my life or a bad influence. I, I did all that stuff, you know, and, and, and it was all in this effort of, God, can you change your mind about me? Just like Abraham worshiping all of his pagan moons and doing all his pagan sacrifices, just trying to get God to change his mind about me. And like Abraham after God called him, I had my event where God made the first move. I wasn't looking for God. I didn't want God. I thought I was having the fun of my life. And I was a junior, or almost a senior in high school, and things were amazing. And all of a sudden, God punched a hole in this world. Showed me himself, just like Abraham. Like the Apostle Peter, I had an event where God turned on the light bulb. Where the God who was kind of out there somewhere has to come in here forever. Like Jesus, I had my event where I placed all my sins on the cross. Some of you may say, wait a minute, Tom, you, you stretched yourself, you crucified yourself, you're still alive. I don't see any scars on your eye. I don't, you seem like a, how did you, how did you put your sins on the cross? I'll tell you how. I got baptized. That's the power of Baptism. All of your sins goes down in the water, just like Jesus' went on the cross. Of course, you know where I'm going with the fifth event. I had my resurrection. Like Jesus, I rose with him when I came up out of the water. Now, instead of separated, connected. Like the apostles, I had my event where Jesus seemed to ascend from that initial experience. I came to faith. I came to know Jesus. Everything was great for about three and a half years. And all of a sudden, there I am staring up at the heaven going, Jesus, where did you go? We started off so good. Everything was so wonderful. Everything was so emotional. I just felt you all the time, and I don't feel you anymore. Where did you go? It seems like you just went to the clouds, and I can't find you anymore. Hearing that voice, why are you staring into heaven? Go back. God's not done with you yet. And like the apostles, uh, with more questions than answers, I had my Pentecost where I was filled with the Spirit and rippled with God's fire. I began to realize that most of our lives, if not all of our lives, have that same sequence that the Bible predicts through the nations and through history, we have just through our own little timelines. Times where we're struggling in sin and rebellion. We're struggling before the call, trying to make God change his mind about us. And then we get that call because God makes the first move and we're totally blown away. And, and then, like Jesus, we put our sins on the cross. We rise with him. And then we start staring, going, wait a minute. I thought everything was supposed to get better after this. Why did you leave again? And then we get filled with the Spirit. All of that began to see in my own walk why because God has a goal in my life and the goal is produce fruit that reflects God in me rather than 
out there. Amen? Here's a few things I learned along the journey. I wrote these in my journal. I want to be reminded of them sometimes when I read them. The first thing is this. Changed behavior does not change our hearts. <laughs> I can change my behavior. It can last about two weeks, but if God doesn't do it in me, it's not going to have lasting change. Second thing, sacrifices to God do not cleanse our soul. You can't go to church enough. You can't be nice enough. You can't give enough money. You can't do all that stuff because the sacrifice is not enough. The only sacrifice that was enough is right there. So stop trying to wear yourself out, changing yourself. Stop trying to wear yourself out by making all these sacrifices to God, trying to get him to change your mind about you. None of those work. The third thing is what I said. None of our other gods can nullify our deepest fear. I love it when I meet an atheist because by the end of the conversation, I can tell you this right now, they are not as confident in their atheism as I am in my Christianity. There's a confidence. It's like I'm walking on solid ground and through our discussions, I can tell you, I don't even believe there really is such thing as an atheist. There's only agnostics, people who question. They don't know what's out there. They don't want to pick Jesus, but they don't know what's out there. And in that confusion, there's a deep residing fear and God wants to come and take away that fear and replace it with hope and love but most importantly, fruit, the fruits of the Spirit. The last thing I learned is that God makes the first move. Whether you're running from God, whether you're seeking God, you're probably gonna wake up and say, God, what can I do to shake you a little so that you'll speak to me, so that you'll bless me, so that you'll do something about God, what can I do? I'm telling you right now, there's nothing you can do. God makes the first move. He'll make it when he makes it. The only thing I can tell you is, if you're a true seeker, he will make it. And it will be at the right time and in the right place. He will do it. So a couple of things to take home. First of all, ask yourself honestly, where is God for you right now? Where is he? Is he somewhere out there? Even though you want to believe he's in here, have you been living your life as though he's kind of just somewhere out there? Where is he? Ask yourself that. The second thing, ask yourself honestly, what is the fruit of your life? What happens when you walk into a room? Do people go, oh, oh goodness gracious, she just came into the room. Or is there fruits from the Holy Spirit overflowing that people are going, oh, wow, someone truly powerful just walked into this room? What, are the, what is the fruit of your life? If everything was to fall apart tomorrow, could you take it? Could you handle it? If you lost all your money, could you start over and rebuild? Or would it crush you? And the fruits of the Spirit, your fortunes can rise and fall in a day, and it doesn't change basically who you are and what God's doing in your life. Third thing, quit wearing yourself out and ask God to make a move. You don't need to try harder. You don't need to, maybe some of you may need to pray longer, but it's not about our efforts. It's about just saying, God, I need you. 
I need you to make a move in my life, and I don't know how it works, and I don't know how this is going to be, but I just trust that if you do it, I'll know it, I'll receive it, and by golly, I'll walk in it. And then finally, this year, make church the first priority of your week. This isn't just an added extra. This isn't just a nice little bonus in the kingdom. We're going to go through some amazing verses in the Bible this spring. When you start calendaring out your week, you just put church first. Everything else subordinates to that. Everything else falls under that, right? That's not to say you don't take a Sunday off to go on a vacation. That's not to say you don't take a Sunday off because you're not feeling well. It's not to say you don't take a Sunday off because you've got to go visit a relative or that. You know what I'm saying. I'm saying beyond those exceptions to the rule, make it a general rule that the first priority of your week is going to be coming here. Why? So that God can do in you what he really wants to do in you. And that is produce his fruit in your life. Make you the kind of person where when you walk into the room, people are just drawn to you because they're drawn to God in you. Amen? Amen. Before we close, I want to make just a very simple invitation. And that is an invitation to be replanted in Eden, to be uprooted from fear and confusion and heartache and replanted into God's plan for your life, into God's blessing for your life. Because when Jesus came to reveal the Father, he said, I have come to serve, not to be served. Will you let God serve you this year? I know it sounds weird to say it. That's what God wants to do. He wants to serve you. We just need to let him. Come dirty, come pukey, come confused, come scared, come mad, come broken. Just come is what God is saying to you to say. Just come. Just as you are. So with your heads bowed, go ahead and bow your heads. Close your eyes. If you're saying, you know what, Pastor Tom, as you were talking, I felt like the heart of God touched my heart in some way. I, I may not be able to explain it, but I just feel like the Holy Spirit touched me to say, you know what, this is a year that I'm going to go deeper with Him and that He wants to produce some of those fruits in my life. If that's you, I want you to go ahead and just raise your hand right now. Let me see it. Let me see. Let me see. Go ahead and raise your hand. Amen. 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 Pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I receive this word from you that you would bear fruit in me. Fruits of love, fruits of joy, fruits of peace, fruits of patience, fruits of kindness, fruits of goodness, fruits of gentleness, fruits of self-control. I give my heart to you in Jesus' name. Amen.